All right, there's a chance that you came today, having said all that, expecting that this Sunday will be a continuation of last Sunday. And there's a chance that you came here today for the sole purpose of hearing Doug. And here I am, a guest speaker, not speaking on what Doug spoke on. Okay. And my presence here this morning is the result of our church calendar that was set in place five years ago. The calendar that was set in place five years ago has an Enneagram seminar happening each year, the first Saturday after Labor Day. And the seminar is the precursor to the formation of Enneagram groups that span September through May. And I usually speak a couple of weeks before the seminar. And so, voila, here I am, not speaking on what Doug speaking on. All right. I hope you don't experience whiplash. <laughs> but anyway, all right, so let's begin. So, in Matthew 22, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy when he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And this morning, I'm not focusing on loving your neighbor and I'm not focusing on loving your God but I am going to focus on loving yourself. And I'm going to suggest that when you love yourself well, you will love your neighbor well and your God well. And I happen to believe that with all my heart. I happen to believe that when you love yourself well, you will love your neighbor well and you will love your God well. And I'm going to suggest that the best way to love yourself is to remember who you are. And I'm also going to suggest that the best way to love yourself is to learn who you're not, your false self. And then I'm going to talk about the psychological spiritual tool called the Enneagram. And then I'm going to end with two stories on how I used the Enneagram this year to love myself, others, and my God. So that will be the next half hour in a nutshell. Number one, loving yourself involves remembering who you are. Number two, loving yourself involves learning who you are not. Number three, one of the best tools to do that is with the Enneagram. And number four, we'll end with two examples of how I use the Enneagram this year to love better. Okay? With me? All right. First point, loving yourself involves remembering who you are. If one of the best ways to love yourself is to remember who you are, then who are we? Well, I'd rather suggest that a better question maybe is not who are we, but whose are we? In other words, from whence do we get life? Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without your connection to me, you can do nothing. I think humans are conductors and not generators. And it's a real relief to me to know that I don't have to be a generator. 
I don't generate much love, joy, or peace, or patience. And with I, when I look within, I don't see much love, joy, peace, or patience. But what's so nice is there's no condemnation. Of course, I'm not a generator. I don't have to generate that kind of thing. But I do have access to it. And Jesus says, access me often. Access my love for you often. Access the peace that I give often. Receive my joy often. Receive my love for you often. Receive my peace often. Stay connected. Abide. Be present. Be present to my presence. You don't have what it takes to do what you need to do without being connected. If you want your labor to not be in vain, and if you want your labor to have eternal consequences, begin by abiding, continue by abiding, and end by abiding. Julian of Norwich wrote, Our separation from the Holy One is nothing but an illusion. We are always and forever connected in love with our Beloved. It is with this great love that the Beloved loves all beings. Our only task is to remember and rejoice. In the end, Julian continues, it will all be clear. Then none of us will be moved in any way to say, Lord, if only things had been different, all would have been well. Instead, we shall proclaim in one voice, Beloved one, may you be blessed, because it is so. All is well. All is well. It is with this great love that the Beloved loves all beings. Our only task is to remember this and rejoice. So whose are we? We are the Beloved's. Who loves us? The Beloved. What is the illusion? That it's up to us. So stay connected so that we can begin, continue, and end well. So that we can love ourselves and our neighbors and our God well. Point number two. Loving ourselves involves learning who we are not. The Enneagram is helpful in that. It teaches us who we are not. It helps to identify what gets in the way of us remembering whose we are. The Enneagram suggests that our Enneagram type gets in the way of us loving ourselves, our neighbor, and our God well. 
We need help because, as it turns out, some of our false selves looks pretty good. As it turns out, we can do a pretty good job of calling our false self virtuous, thereby perpetrating the lives of our false selves. And the Enneagram is like scaffolding on a building. And in this particular analogy, the purpose of the scaffolding is to not build a building, but to tear down a building, to tear down my false self that is posing as my true self. Our false self is a necessary commodity. There is no need to treat it roughly. What makes this false self false is not that it is not real, but that I have given it a burden of finality that it cannot bear. It is meant to be an in-between state, and I have made it my final state. I have made it my identity. The false self is the shell of the acorn, which after achieving its purpose of protecting the seed its whole life, now has to be shucked off so that the seed can grow into a tree. But the shell is not an enemy, nor is your false self your enemy. But even though it is not your enemy, it will kill you. It is not the enemy, but it has to die. The acorn will never become a tree if the shell does not dissipate. Just like mistletoe will kill a tree before it will die itself, our false selves will gladly let us die if that means it can live. It will lie to us ad nauseum if that means the life of the false self can be perpetuated. And when we challenge the lie of our false selves, our false identities are so traumatized that it feels like death. Hence, the scripture refers to crucify the flesh. So to review, in case your mind wandered, but of course it didn't, because I'm so compelling. <laughs> the greatest commandment is to love God and to love one another and to love ourselves. In order to do that, we will need to often remind ourselves whose we are. Stay connected to our source. In order to do that, we will also need to know who we are not, what our false self looks like so that we can challenge them. We use the Enneagram as scaffolding to gently and carefully dismantle a necessary false self so that we can access the Holy Spirit within. Okay, you with me? Okay? Okay. You're doing good. Ken Wilbur says that in the religion of the future, we will need to wake up and we will need to grow up. I am growing up when I choose to work with the Holy Spirit to challenge the wiring, the grid, the Enneagram type, the false self, the matrix that is keeping me from the me that is hidden with Christ and God. I choose to work with the Holy Spirit to challenge the wiring, 
the grid, the Enneagram type, the false self, the matrix, that is keeping me from experiencing the love of Christ. So here are two examples of what I shared in my Enneagram groups this year. Some of you have already heard these stories. But they are examples of how I use the Enneagram as a guide to help me love better by learning who I was not. Okay, the first example. The Enneagram suggests that there are three instincts. One instinct says, I am my body, I must take care of myself to survive. The next instinct says, I am my group, I must belong to survive. And the last instinct says, I am my, I am my intimate relationship and I must have a soulmate to survive. And the suggestion is that we love God, the other, and ourselves better when these three instincts are in balance. The problem is none of us begin with our instincts in balance. And I wasn't a little bit out of balance. I was out of whack, out of balance. The instinct, I am my body and I must take care of myself to survive, didn't exist in my consciousness. After all, my false self told me that only ideas matter. Only the spiritual matters. The physical world is temporal. Don't spend any time on the temporal world. Stay around me long enough and you will hear me say, oh, it doesn't matter. Do you know how many physical things in my life didn't matter? It didn't matter that my house was sometimes clean and sometimes wasn't. It didn't matter whether I exercised or not. It didn't matter how much I weighed. It didn't matter whether I dressed my body well or not. It didn't matter whether my car was clean or not. It didn't matter whether repairs happened or not. And it didn't matter whether things were bought or not. It simply didn't matter whether the physical world was tended to or not. After all, only the spiritual is eternal. Now, I was taught that, but I was taught lots of things. And why did I latch on to that one? Well, it worked for me. After all, it reinforced my false self. On some level, I congratulated myself for being calm and generous and forgiving and easygoing and non-ruffled and compliant in the midst of my non-tended-to physical world. And not only that, but I ignored the consumerist culture and I was not driven to consume. Do you hear all those virtues? And only a hop, skip, and jump from that was, I didn't matter. After all, I'm physical. Job below my potential? It didn't matter. You treat me poorly? It doesn't matter. Dismiss me? It doesn't matter. After all, I dismissed me a long time ago. 
So all that to say, this past year, I tackled my physical world. And I tackled my physical body. And I gave them both all the time, money, and energy that it took to wrestle them to the ground. Just kidding, but it felt like that. I now know why I never did stuff. Every time you do one thing, your reward is that five more things to do are spawned from that one done thing. And I promise you there's something inside of me that says you were really smart not to get stuff done. But in the process of tackling the physical world, I discovered that behind all my virtues that kept my instincts out of balance was a shadow self that did not want to be exposed for what it was. And underneath all of my virtues lurked fear. Fear stayed in place because my behavior patterns were couched as virtue. I'm going to say that again. Fear stayed in place because my behavior patterns were couched as virtues. Fear of making the wrong decision. Fear of not having enough. Fear of not being competent. Fear of being a fool. Fear of looking like a fool. Fear of not knowing. Fear of being seen as not knowing. Attempting to bring the instincts into balance, I ran into all my fears of being a common idiot. Because when I interacted with the physical world and its sales clerks and its too many choices and its confusing processes, I was a common idiot. This whole past year that I spent time, money, and energy on my house and on me, I felt tons of fear, and I often was the common idiot. And I survived. And I learned a whole lot. And I learned I wasn't as incompetent as I thought I was. And I learned to do better. And I learned to forgive myself when I didn't do better. And I learned to join the human race. Now I clean and I exercise and I get stuff done because what I want matters and what I want is worth fighting for because I matter. And I have become a consumerist. I buy stuff now. Oh, wow. And I love the little one inside of me that feels like a common idiot. I love her. So I'll end with this last example. Because of the Enneagram, I discovered that we all have a top virtue that we attach our identity to. The Enneagram can predict what your most important virtue is according to your type. And because we attach our identity to it, and because we call it a virtue, it has a very long life expectancy. So here are some nine virtues, loosely speaking, that we attach our identity to. Some people attach their identity to vitality. Some to harmony. Some to integrity. Some to generosity. Some to resourcefulness. Some to authenticity. 
some to discernment, some to loyalty, and some to optimism. But scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that the top virtue is love. Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. So scripture says if we're going to stack the virtues, there's only one virtue at the top, regardless of your type. And if your top virtue is not love, then you have what is called an idol. And we know what happens to idols. I learned that one of my top virtues of my Enneagram type is discernment. And having read that, I only found it mildly interesting. I was not aware of it, nor could I have told you that that was true. But I began to play with the idea. And I started watching myself when I was with other people and in groups. And I started experimenting. I start I started by not offering my thoughts and then watching how did that affect me. How does that make me feel? What happens in my body when I don't share my discernments, when I don't share my thoughts? And I begin to be more aware of how my thoughts are received. And I begin to be aware of how much my identity is wrapped up in me having discernment. And I become aware that there are times I'll discern all over you ad nauseum and think that I have given you a gift. <laughs> and I become aware that there is a chance that you will not feel loved when I do that. And I become aware that there is just the slightest chance that you might be experiencing me as obnoxious. And in addition to all that, I become aware of how much my worth and value is tied up into discerning. And heaven help me if there is someone else in the room that has more discernment than me. <sighs> my false self, my grid, my matrix tells me that I am not welcome at the table of life if I don't have discernment. My false self, my grid, my matrix tells me that I will have no worth and no value if I don't have discernment. So what scripture and the Enneagram suggests is that I pause before I go discerning on someone and listen to the Holy Spirit and see if this is the time and place to offer discernment. But if I am compulsed and fixated on discernment, I will never hear the Holy Spirit. Scripture and the Enneagram would suggest to grow comfortable with the discomfort that arises when I don't have any discernment to share. And to affirm to myself that even without any discernment for the rest of my life, I still have worth and value. Hence, the idol of discernment has been challenged and love has been given a chance to help me do better. And yes, I live my life differently because of this suggestion. And I'm speaking on the Enneagram today because in a couple of weeks after our annual seminar, we will form groups where we will come together and we will tell stories of how we noticed our false self in action. And in our groups, the Enneagram type ones will try and figure out the rules. And the Enneagram type 2s 
will try and figure out how to meet your needs. And the Enneagram Type 3s will try and figure out how to look good. And the Enneagram Type 4s will try and figure out how to be unique. And the Enneagram Type 5s will try and discern truth. And the Enneagram Type 6s will try and figure out the plan. And the Enneagram Type 7s will try and figure out how to have fun. And the Enneagram Type 8s will try and figure out who is in charge. And the Enneagram Type 9s will try and figure out how to make the rest of us play nice. <laughs> and I'm teasing. And I'm anybody triggered. <laughs> but what we will really do is tell stories of how the Holy Spirit helped us to be aware of the grid that falsely defines who we are. We will tell stories of how we were able to challenge that false sense of self. We will tell stories of how we paused and how we took deep breaths and how we listened. We will tell stories of how we failed and how we gave ourselves great grace. And we will tell stories of how we loved well and how we gave others great grace. But most importantly, we will listen to other people tell their stories and we will learn to see the world through other people's lenses. So I hope that you will join us this fall and join a group. Thank you so much.